0: 1st century BCE, Judea, a time and place shrouded in myth and mystery.
1: A group of holy men broke away from mainstream society due to the constant threat of a Roman invasion. They lived a hermetic lifestyle in stone settlements and caves, worshipping in the Dead Sea's West Bank.
0: The men studied religious scripture and hand-wrote duplicate copies of their most sacred texts.
1: But everything changed when the Jewish-Roman War began around 70 CE. Just before the men began their Passover celebrations, a massive Roman army closed in on them, ready to attack.
0: As for what happened next, we can't say for sure. We only know the religious devotees left their sacred scriptures behind for future generations to study. And as historians pondered their texts, they wondered, who were these men? And what secrets did their scrolls contain?
1: Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly.
0: And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer.
1: Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: This is our first episode on the Dead Sea Scrolls, a collection of over 800 religious manuscripts including the oldest copies of some books of the Bible. But nobody knows who compiled them or why they left the scrolls in a secluded cave outside
1: Jerusalem. Today, we'll cover their initial discovery and archeologists' and historians' efforts to understand them. The scrolls may reshape our understanding of the history of religion, but first, we need to figure out just where they came from.
0: Next time, we'll dissect the mystery of who wrote the texts, debate who hid them, and examine whether they lead to a buried treasure.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal
2: win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: Around early 1947, several young shepherds from the Ta'amira Bedouin group were tending their goats along the Dead Sea's west bank. This is about 30 miles east of Jerusalem, near the Kirbet Qumran ancient stone ruins.
0: The Qumran was a settlement that was thousands of years old. It was small, covering less ground than a football field, but the little-understood complex held a wealth of mysteries. But so far as the Bedouin shepherds were concerned, the Qumran was merely a good site for grazing.
1: While caring for his goats, a man named Muhammad noticed one was missing. He immediately set out to find the animal.
0: Muhammad tracked the goat to a ravine, but lost sight of it. He figured the animal may have ducked into a cave to escape the heat.
1: But the caves were anything but a secure structure. They were old, dark, and unstable. The ground could give way at any second, and the goat might get lost, or worse, fall to its death.
0: Muhammad couldn't leave the goat to its fate, but he didn't want to injure himself following it into a cavern. He threw stones into each cave opening to scare it out of its hiding place. He passed entrance after entrance tossing rocks, but no goat. However, one toss landed with a loud crash that caught his attention.
1: It sounded like this cave might contain more than his wayward goat. Muhammad wondered if he'd hit the jackpot. Perhaps there was treasure inside.
0: But before he could investigate, Muhammad had to find his missing animal. He spent the rest of his day tending to his flock with the other Bedouin. A few days later, they returned to Qumran and investigated the cave.
1: This time, Muhammad ventured inside. In the darkness, he noticed something along the wall clay jars and a pile of broken pottery.
0: The shepherd examined the shattered pot but didn't find any gold or jewels, just seven old dusty scrolls.
1: Some were made from delicate parchment, others of leather and linen thread. They were so fragile, the boys probably didn't even try to read them. Muhammad and his friends took three of them home.
0: The shepherds planned to recover the remaining scroll jars and fragments later. In the meantime, they went to the Bethlehem markets, trying to sell the scrolls to anyone who might be interested.
1: The boys didn't know much about the manuscripts and neither did the merchants, who refused to buy them. In desperation, they even showed the scrolls to a shoemaker, a Syrian named Kando Shaheen.
0: Kando was a cobbler and an antiquities dealer with more business sense than the young shepherds. He bought the scrolls for an unknown amount but it was certainly a fraction of their real value.
1: Kando negotiated a good bargain for himself, but even he likely didn't realize how old the scrolls were. However, he did know religious antiquities were worth a lot and he understood how to sell them. Within a month, Kando offered the scrolls to a man named Mar Athanasius, Yeshua Samuel.
0: Samuel led a Jerusalem monastery as the Metropolitan, a title that's roughly equivalent to an archbishop. He saw something special in the scrolls right away and purchased them immediately. He believed they were some of the oldest intact documents ever found.
1: But Samuel didn't know enough about ancient manuscripts to confirm his suspicions, so he consulted an expert, an Old Testament studies professor from the Netherlands.
0: The scholar examined the scrolls and came to a disappointing conclusion. He didn't think the scrolls were ancient. He suspected they dated back to the medieval period. Dismayed but not convinced, Samuel sought a second opinion.
1: This wasn't easy. The United Nations was in the process of establishing a Jewish state, but the proposed resolution had only increased tensions between Jewish and Arab people who lived there. War
0: seemed imminent, but under the proposed resolution at the time, Jerusalem would remain a neutral territory. And Samuel was reluctant to trust the documents to any scholars who weren't Christian like him. Fortunately, a secular American university had recently been founded in Jerusalem, and the academics agreed to take a look.
1: The most obvious way to investigate the scrolls was to read them, but this wasn't as simple as it sounded. Many were in tatters, or the writing was faded and illegible. But despite these obstacles, some details were immediately evident.
0: One scroll was a near-complete copy of the book of Isaiah written in Hebrew. When unfurled, the manuscript measured around 24 feet. Because it was the longest scroll in the collection, it was called the Great Isaiah Scroll.
1: The second was a commentary on the book of Habakkuk. The authors explained how it related to their own circumstances and way of life. Again, we don't know who wrote all this, but we can make some assumptions about their beliefs and vocabulary from the text.
0: By analyzing the scroll's spelling, grammar, and choice of words, experts deduced they were from roughly the Second Temple period of Jerusalem, which lasted from 586 BCE to 70 CE.
1: To try to verify these findings, in February 1948, American academics compared Samwell's scrolls to other documents like a Ten Commandments papyrus sheet from the 200s BCE. After several months of study, the professors confirmed that Samwell's scrolls were indeed ancient.
0: This was significant because most surviving biblical texts could only be dated to the medieval era. These manuscripts, on the other hand, were suspected to be over 2,000 years old.
1: This was a massive discovery. Numerous international papers ran stories on the discovery, and several included photos of the artifacts. Collectively, the texts became known as the
0: Dead Sea Scrolls. The reports captivated the public and sent shockwaves throughout the archaeological world
1: and a new discovery suggested the scrolls were significant outside the researcher community. Perhaps these documents pointed the way to a long lost ancient treasure.
0: Coming up, archeologists uncover a scroll that leads to vast riches.
2: Hi, I'm Christine Schiefer. And I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast, and that's what we drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about. Not to join, but, you know, to, to learn and educate. <laughs> Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the fountain of youth? Address, please. (laughs) Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Now, back to the story. In
1: 1948, historians concluded the Dead Sea Scrolls were some of the oldest written documents ever discovered. But that May, just as news of the Dead Sea Scrolls hit the stands, the State of Israel officially formed. War broke out immediately, and Jordan annexed the West Bank, where the Dead Sea Scrolls had been discovered.
0: Suddenly, any further excavation fell under Jordan's purview, and they had reason to be cautious. Several decades earlier, Tutankhamen's tomb had been found in Egypt. The excitement that ensued, known as Egyptomania, was the archaeological equivalent of a gold rush. In the scuffle, many precious artifacts had been destroyed.
1: To avoid that happening here, the government appointed a team of excavators and historians to run the Dead Sea Scrolls excavations. A French priest and archaeologist named Roland Devaux led the dig.
0: Starting in early 1949, Devaux and his team excavated the cave where the first scrolls had been found. They found pieces of other scrolls and pottery shards, but for the most part, it had already been emptied.
1: But as we mentioned earlier, this was only one of the dozens of caves in the area. For as long as humans had inhabited the region, they'd used these caves as shelter from the desert's unforgiving heat. Many ancient people had even created their own caverns by digging in the soft rock. If there were any more scrolls, there were plenty of places they could be hiding.
0: Sure enough, a local group of Bedouins located a second cave less than a dozen miles away. It contained fragments from scrolls written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic.
1: This find inspired Devoe to shift his focus. Instead of concentrating on the caverns, he wanted to investigate the nearby Qumran ruins.
0: As we mentioned before, Qumran was near the areas where the Bedouins often grazed their flocks. DeVoe theorized whoever wrote and hid the scrolls had lived there. He believed Qumran was the key to solving the mystery of the manuscript's origins.
1: But no one else thought the area had much historical significance. Many historians had already dismissed Qumran as an unremarkable military fort. It had thick walls and a tall tower they assumed was a lookout post.
0: But when they explored the Qumran Tower, Devoe and his team found a room lined with benches that looked like a Torah study area. Outside it, they found long hallways, courtyards, and meeting rooms. There were plenty of kitchens, but few living quarters or bedrooms that could serve as barracks.
1: They also discovered a network of baths, which didn't align with the military fort idea. Devoe believed these tubs were used for Jewish spiritual purification ceremonies. In other words, the occupants of Qumran may have been devout.
0: But the strongest evidence for Devoe's speculation was right outside the tower. There, Devoe and his workers found fragments of ink pots, which indicated there were scribes at Qumran.
1: Not only that, but these pottery samples matched the jars the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in, Perhaps these jars were actually made at the tower.
0: All of these discoveries suggested religious scholars had worked and lived in Qumran. But it was hard to determine what their day-to-day life was like. After all, everyone who'd lived there was long dead.
1: Around 1,200 men and women were buried in a massive graveyard near the structure. Earlier, historians had claimed this cemetery was filled with soldiers who died in battle.
0: But DeVoe thought differently. The bodies had been too lovingly and carefully placed for these to be mass casualties of
1: war. DeVoe suspected the majority of those buried at the gravesite didn't reside in the main structure at all. While they spent some time there, they likely slept in man-made caves around the area. The same caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and where people were still finding artifacts regularly.
0: Between 1947 and 1956, the Bedouin people and the archaeologists uncovered 11 historically significant Dead Sea Caves. They contained around 15,000 fragments from over 800 scrolls.
1: The workers organized the fragments by scroll, then laid them down on a plate of glass. Shockingly, they used scotch tape to reattach the pieces.
0: According to one account, they often smoked cigarettes and drank coffee while working with the scrolls. Every once in a while, someone spilled a drop or two, staining the priceless documents forever.
1: But it wasn't all by accident. Some researchers purposefully dripped oil onto their scrolls or let them bake in the sun for hours. These methods were supposed to make the writing more legible which may have worked in the short term, but it also left permanent, irreversible damage.
0: Perhaps the researchers were careless because their collection of ancient manuscripts was growing larger. In the early 1950s, the Bedouin people reported yet another cave containing scrolls, and one of them was completely unique. It wasn't made of leather or papyrus like the others. It was written on delicate, rolled-up copper sheets,
1: Whoever composed this scroll hammered the message in, letter by letter, a difficult and time-consuming process. Copper was also very expensive in the ancient world. This document must have been precious to its authors. Before
0: they tried to unroll the manuscript, the researchers noted there was writing on the outside of the scroll. They translated it, finding the words for gold
1: and silver. Some speculated the copper scroll contained a list of buried treasures and their locations, but they couldn't say this for sure. Any attempts to unroll the corroded metal sheet caused further damage.
0: Finally, in 1956 at the University of Manchester, researchers used a saw to cut it into 23 vertical pieces.
1: Afterwards, the scroll was put back together and laid out flat. There was still some translation work to do, but finally, the Copper Scroll's tantalizing secret was revealed. It was a real-life treasure map.
0: Well, sort of. There were several chunks of text that couldn't be easily translated, but the portions historians could decipher threw everything they knew about religious history into question.
1: Coming up, researchers continue decoding the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, back to the story. In
0: 1956, researchers finally managed to unroll the copper Dead Sea Scroll. It suggested massive caches of gold, silver, and incense were hidden around Jerusalem and the Qumran area. And it provided clues to their whereabouts.
1: It seemed too good to be true. But of course, the treasure hunt would be more complicated than finding where X marked the spot.
0: The scroll's instructions were vague, referencing long-eroded or forgotten topographical features. For example, one passage read, 42 talents lie under the stairs in the salt pit.
1: Researchers had no way of knowing which salt pit that clue referred to.
0: Complicating matters, much of the vocabulary in the Copper Scroll doesn't appear in any other ancient text known to historians. To translate it, archaeologists needed to find similar documents. Until that happened, the riches advertised in the Copper Scroll would remain hidden.
1: Of course, that didn't stop people from trying to find the fortune. Before long, bandits descended, looting countless caves.
0: Many would-be treasure hunters likely destroyed delicate 2,000-year-old papyrus scrolls by accident but archaeologists believe some ancient manuscripts are still out there waiting to be examined and placed in their proper context.
1: Unfortunately, by 1960, DeVo's team stopped finding artifacts in the area and their funding ran out, but there was still plenty to learn about the scrolls that had been found.
0: However, this was easier said than done. Since their discovery, many manuscripts had been given or sold to institutions all over the world. For instance, the one original remained with the Syrian shoemaker and merchant who first recognized its value, Kando Shahin.
1: Kando's discovery led him to a profitable career dealing antiques. For 20 years, he acted as a broker for Qumran-related artifacts. He hoped to sell his scroll for up to $500,000
0: and he had potential buyers. Israeli authorities wanted that manuscript back. The Dead Sea Scrolls had become a point of national pride for the country.
1: At first, Israeli officials tried to purchase the manuscript from Kando, but they weren't willing to spend half a million dollars. And perhaps they were wise to wait, because soon they didn't have to buy it at all.
0: In June 1967, tension between Israel and the surrounding countries boiled over again. During the Six-Day War, Israel took over the West Bank, which included East Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Unfortunately for Kando, a top Israeli military advisor tracked him to the Holy City.
1: It's unclear exactly what happened next, but afterward, Israel took possession of the manuscript. Later, Kando sued the Israeli government and received around $100,000 in damages. But Israel got what it wanted, the scroll.
0: This incident showed how valuable the Dead Sea Scrolls had become, even though some of them were little more than fragments.
1: Remember, they were over 2,000 years old. The millennia had taken their toll, and big chunks were missing from many of the documents. It didn't help that past researchers had been careless with some of the pieces, spilling coffee and using scotch tape to reassemble them. Removing the tape only damaged them further.
0: But with the data they had, researchers managed to form a fairly complete picture of the artifacts' content. As near as we can tell, the Dead Sea Scrolls can be sorted into three distinct categories, biblical, sectarian, and apocryphal.
1: The biblical scrolls included 200 copies of most books of the Hebrew Bible, or the Christian Old Testament. They confirmed a point of pride for rabbinical scholars. Ancient Jewish scribes had done a comprehensive job of preserving their holy knowledge.
0: The sectarian texts, on the other hand, had been written by an offshoot of mainstream Judaism. They mostly described a set of rules and guidelines that emphasized a very specific kind of spiritual purity.
1: Finally, the apocryphal text contained religious manuscripts that had been left out of the Hebrew Bible. Some passages were seemingly for scholars rather than the masses and never made their way into canon.
0: This includes partial copies of the apocryphal book of Enoch more than any other
1: text. As the story goes, Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. He lived to be 365 years old, and at some point, God granted him special knowledge, making him a prophet.
0: Enoch then went on to write the book that bears his name. Like the book of Isaiah, it includes a prophecy that the Messiah will soon arrive to usher in a new age.
1: At the time the scrolls were hidden, the book of Enoch wasn't a part of mainstream Judaism. Whoever chose to store so many copies of it may have been from an offshoot sect. Or perhaps the authors were holy men who practiced their own strict version of the religion.
0: Based on the texts they saved, we can assume they anticipated the Messiah's arrival and spent much of their time preparing themselves physically and spiritually for this event. Maybe they took ritual baths at the facilities in Qumran.
1: The best way to verify this speculation was to examine the scrolls as closely as possible. And in the 1990s, analysts finally managed to remove the scotch tape while limiting the damage.
0: Soon after, new technologies emerged that allowed scientists to peer through layers of dirt and sediment. They even saw past the oil and coffee stains left behind by past researchers.
1: The scrolls' content and handwriting, along with coins found in the caves, led these researchers to the same conclusion the experts in the 1940s had reached. They agreed the scrolls were hidden during the Second Temple Period, between the 500s BCE and 70 CE.
0: The time frame included the birth of Christianity and most of the events depicted in the New Testament. It was helpful to have a ballpark but they needed to keep narrowing the timeframe down so they could figure out who wrote the scrolls. Thankfully, one technology promised concrete answers.
1: Carbon-14 dating has been around since the excavation began decades earlier. However, the process involved destroying the specimens that were tested, meaning the researchers would need to dissolve a scroll segment.
0: In the earliest days of the dig, this wasn't an option because there were so few samples available. But once researchers found enough scrolls, they felt comfortable sacrificing a small piece of history. When they ran the test, they dated a fragment to a narrower range. It had been written between 167 BCE and 233 CE. It perfectly fit with the other estimates.
1: Taken together, much of the archaeological evidence pointed to one group as a potential author, the Essenes. The Essenes were an obscure and mysterious Jewish sect. Many scholars, including Roland Vaux, believe they once lived in and around Qumran.
0: This theory was plausible enough, but until it could be definitively proven, it was just that, a theory mostly because first-hand information about the Essenes was pretty rare.
1: Ancient Roman historians, including Pliny the Elder, wrote about them. The accounts described the Essenes' strict religious nature. They always ate together and studied traditional Jewish law. They practiced extreme self-restraint in all matters, avoiding pleasure altogether. The Roman historian Josephus reported the Essenes even refused to marry, although they may have had children anyway.
0: A Jewish man became a member of the Essenes by following a strict initiation routine, which took three years. During the first year, he had to forego all earthly pleasures. If he did this, he was then purified in one of their ritual baths during his second year.
1: In the third year, he was invited to their sacred meals. From that day on, The new Essene wasn't allowed to eat any food unless the group's leaders provided it. If he couldn't stick to these rules, he'd be banished. And those who were banned from the order were expected to starve to death.
0: Aramaic and Hebrew sources don't have any record of the Essene's existence, and they aren't mentioned in the New Testament. Many historians believed they'd either vanished by then or were so fringe they weren't worth bringing up.
1: But if the Essenes wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, they may have survived much longer than those researchers supposed. And this conclusion added fuel to a religious debate that had followed the Dead Sea Scrolls since their discovery.
0: Some Christian scholars thought the Essenes were among the first followers of Jesus Christ due to their eager anticipation of the Messiah but Jewish scholars countered that this notion robbed the Essenes of their status as an ancient Jewish sect. Meanwhile, others argued the Essenes went on to follow the Prophet Muhammad and the teachings of Islam.
1: So, three of the world's largest religions each have a claim to the Dead Sea Scroll's cultural legacy, and they can't all be right.
0: As heated as this debate can get, it might be based on a false premise. We still don't know for sure whether the Essenes wrote the scrolls hidden around
1: Qumran. Perhaps they were hidden by rabbinical scholars as they evacuated Jerusalem during one of its ancient conflicts. After all, the holy city was only a day's walk from the ruins and most of the caves.
0: Or maybe Qumran wasn't a religious settlement at all. Maybe it was a luxury villa or the waterworks of a profitable pottery factory.
1: And if the texts weren't written by a religious order, perhaps they represented something a little less spiritual. After all, we still haven't solved the Copper Scrolls treasure map. Maybe unaccountable riches are still waiting to be found.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with part two of the Dead Sea Scrolls. For more information on the scrolls, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, a biography by John J. Collins, extremely helpful to our research.
1: You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer
0: unexplained mysteries is a spotify original from parcast executive producers include max and ron cutler sound design by russell nash with production assistance by ron shapiro trent williamson carly madden and bruce katovich this episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Eric Stankey, with writing assistance by Mallory Kara and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checking by Kara Mackerlien, and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner.
2: Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh, my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify.